Hey, it's Susan. Before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about something I've been working on to help you make more confident decisions about the future of your business. I know, that might seem kind of like a pipe dream right now, but it is possible to feel more confident about the choices you're making in your business when you know, really know, what's going on with your money. So I want to help you get on top of your business finances. I'd love for you to join me for a program called Be Your Own CFO. You'll work with me and a small group of business owners over the next five months to help you make better decisions about the way your business earns, spends, and invests money. Together, we'll dig into the data, examine the reports, rethink your money stories, build a budget, and create an action plan. By the end of the program, you'll have a new relationship with the money that flows through your business, and you'll feel wildly capable when it comes to making decisions about it. This is the last week to apply for the pilot, so if you're interested in joining us in the Be Your Own CFO program, go to scalespark.co slash CFO. That's scalespark.co slash CFO. I want to, you know, feel powerful and in control or, you know, I will finally feel like I'm a success if I can do X, Y, Z. And man, when you bring all of that stuff into your business, your business becomes something else outside of a way to make money and have financial freedom. And it can be disastrous. What kind of relationship do you have with your business? Are y'all ride or die BFFs? Or is your business a mean, demanding boss that makes you dread going to work? I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. This month, we've been talking about the various ways that business owners get in their own way. As the founder, all your weaknesses and issues become ingrained in your business because, well, you're the one who created it. So we've been talking about all the different ways this shows up in your business and some practical strategies to avoid making these mistakes over and over. If you're someone who gets in your own way by resisting systems, check out the first episode in the series with Michelle Warner about how process can be a competitive advantage. If you're someone who gets in your own way by putting all the things on your to-do list until you're absolutely ready to crash. The episode with Tanya Dalton is a great one for you. If you're, well, pretty much anyone who deals with money, hint, that's all of you, go listen to last week's episode with Agnes Kowalski about money mindset. And if you're someone who struggles with the need to control everything, or if you get stuck in perfectionism or the need to do things the right way, today's episode is for you. Nicole Lewis-Keeper is a business therapist and a mindset coach who works with entrepreneurs to create and nurture healthy relationships with their businesses. She's a licensed clinical social worker with a master's in social work, and she writes and speaks about the impact of small t trauma on businesses. But her biggest, most important work is in combining therapeutic processes with business coaching to help entrepreneurs build emotionally sustainable and financially stable businesses. Now, Nicole is the one who first introduced me to the idea that you're in a relationship with your business, one that you've created. So today we're gonna talk about how your past experiences might be showing up in your business and creating limitations to your growth. 
We'll talk about how perfectionism and the need for control in your business are rooted in the need to feel safe. And how if you're one of those people who just can't seem to find the right system for your business, it might not be the systems. Hey, Nicole, thanks so much for being here today. Hey there, thanks for having me. So you work with entrepreneurs on their relationship with their business. Can you tell me a little bit about that, like what it's like and how that works? Yeah, I mean, just the whole concept's a little weird, right? That you're in a relationship with your business. Um, Usually you have to do a little bit of context around that. Uh, So I was a therapist for 18 years. And so uh, relationships and improving relationship dynamics was part of my training. And so when I jumped over from being a therapist into working with coaches and healers and entrepreneurs and small business owners um, and myself and my own business, I recognized pretty early out that our bi- we are not our business. It is something that is outside of us. Even though it's something we're creating and we love, it is not us. We are creating it. We are relating to it. And so therefore, we are in a relationship with it and we can default into some really gnarly patterns when we don't realize that. So I help people set an intentional relationship with their business and, you know, create the dynamics that work for them and that are not the default for them. So what are kind of some of the most common triggers or traumas that you see with the business owners you work with? So I I think the very first thing that I see is that a lot of people are walking around with childhood trauma who don't recognize it or realize that that's what it is. And this is kind of a heavy subject. So, you know, just to say that, you know, if if you are concerned for your well-being in any way, I'm going to be using the word trauma and, and won't go into too much detail, but, you know, take care of yourself in this conversation. Um, but the biggest thing I see is that a lot of the experiences that we have when we're children, um, create a desire to behave a different way when we're adults. And those patterns of behavior come into our business and we reenact them there. So I would say the biggest trauma pattern that I see is a desire to be in control um, because being out of control and trusting other people, relying on them to do things um, doesn't feel comfortable. And so Uh, They've engineered a life and a business where they get to be the one in control at all times. And so that whenever that doesn't work out for them, it can be a huge trauma trigger and it can just be a domino effect. So when they when that is the trauma that they're dealing with, what kinds of impacts do you see that having on their business? Oh, my gosh, it's just so systemic because relying on someone is the behavior of trust, right? And so when trust is hard to come by, it's very difficult to rely on the people that you're working with to do their job and also to support you, you know, to feel like you are off off the hook for something or that you have delegated it. And so you get to exhale and let that go. You let someone else pick it up. And so the implications can be that you know, maybe you're hiring employees to do a job and you're not letting them do it. And so therefore you're still doing the thing you're getting in their way and you're wasting money on obviously because you're hiring someone to not let them do their job. <laughs> so it can have financial implications as far as that. Um, it can hold you back from creating uh, success and financial sustainability in your business over the long term because there's a lack um, of trust and 
There's a lack of trust in the in the way that that can work out for you and the systems that you can put in place for it, which again allows you, you have to have other people that you trust to build that wealth and that success in your business. We cannot do it ourselves. We're not meant to do this alone. We cannot do this alone. Uh, so it has financial implications. It has burnout implications. Um, it has morale implications because if you have a team of people who are not, don't have ownership over their part because you keep stepping into it, uh, for that need to control because of that lack of trust, mm-hmm. um, oh my goodness, like the morale and the turnover that can happen is quite catastrophic to the bottom line of the business. Yeah. And you know, you're constantly training people over and over again. So you really can't build any momentum with anything because you're constantly replacing team members or just not able to grow anything when you're really just the bottleneck. Right. You're not in your genius. Yep. You are the bottleneck. You are not living into, you know, what your skill set is, which you obviously have one. Um, because Let's be honest, a lot of the entrepreneurs I know, a lot of the people I know who are entrepreneurial had some kind of childhood trauma they're trying to deal with or that experience gave them a high skill set. So there's something that's important to them to create this, you know, uh, business. So you know, stay, stay in your lane, basically, is what I'm saying. But that could, <laughs> it, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I say that to my clients. I'm like, you are out of your lane. <laughs> And that's not why you created this business. You created it to do something else, to, you know, express the things that you're curious and interested in, not to be working on spreadsheets. Um, So, yes, it becomes a bottleneck for sure. So as with a lot of kind of mindset stuff, it can be really hard for folks to see either their specific trauma or how that is actually affecting or limiting the growth of their business. You know, kind of the idea that, what is holding back the business is actually them and their Mm -hmm. trauma. So what are some of the ways that you help your clients kind of begin to start seeing these traumas for what they are, seeing them for themselves and seeing how that's kind of creating these issues in their business? Yeah. So this is complicated. So it always starts out with a little bit of education and because we as a culture and as a society do not define trauma in the ways that it actually happens. Um, we only look at something called big T trauma as trauma, you know, then that's, those are the big ones. You know, it's like domestic violence, PTSD, catastrophic illness, um, you know, some unexpected event that changes everything that you had no control over. That type of thing we would uh, describe as a big T trauma in the clinical world. Um, but there's also something called small T trauma. And what these are, these are cumulative effects, um, events that you had in your childhood that create a change in how you see yourself. And they take you off course of valuing yourself and seeing yourself in a more um, authentic way to you. And that those can be things like being bullied, um, moving around a lot and being the new kid on the block all the time, um, maybe being a caretaker for a parent at an early age. And these are not things that we think of as being traumatic. We think of them as it's just suck it up. You had a rough childhood or stuff happens to everybody or whatever it may be. But those actual events are a they are small T trauma, and so they have trauma responses to them. And so I spend a lot of time educating and normalizing the fact that these experiences that you had, that you can still see the impact on your life now, that they were indeed a traumatic event, and you've been responding to it as such in your body 
since then. Um, and so we really have to kind of get clear on that, define that first. And, you know, after we do that and they start to see, oh my goodness, yeah, that experience I had when I was 13 in the cafeteria absolutely is playing out in the relationship I have with my business partner right now because I'm fearful that I can't trust them or you know that they're having the meeting behind the meeting or, you know, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Those things still, they still play out. So we kind of have to unravel it a little bit, define it. And I always ask them, I'm like, what did, why did you really start your business? And they'll say, you know, I wanted to be my boss. I wanted to you know, be able to have more control over my money and what my earning potential is. I didn't really want to have to answer to anyone. And I'll ask them, I'm like, but why did you really start your business? <laughs> and then they look at me like, you're, you're nuts. I just told you what I, what I the, meant. The thing I just said. The thing I just said. And I'm like, okay, so let's take those answers off the table. <laughs> what is the real reason that you started your business? And what will come up often is that if, you know, they start, Again, it's connecting it back to these childhood experiences. I started my business because I wanted to show my dad that I could be more successful than him. Or I wanted to prove to my high school coach that what he said about me was not true. Or um, I want to, you know, feel powerful and in control. Or, you know, I will finally feel like I'm a success if I can do X, Y, Z. And man, when you bring all of that stuff into your business, your business becomes something else outside of a way to make money and have financial freedom. And it can be disastrous. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about kind of one of those, uh, one of those issues that I think a lot of founders struggle. Um, And let's talk a little bit about perfectionism Mm -hmm. and doing things, quote unquote, the right way. Um, You know, so many business owners, myself included, get wrapped up in not being able to put something out into the world until it's perfect, until it's ready for prime time. And I think that can really hold us back, really limit uh, the growth of our business. And the need for being perfect or being right can keep us from trusting our team members. It can keep us from doing important work, from having our light kind of shining in the world. So can you talk to me a little bit about how this shows up for your clients. Yeah. So that perfectionistic piece, again, it all comes down to that control, you know, where, um, we have, you know, control is an illusion. We really don't have, you know, control over all the things, nor should we, because if we did, we would squash everything and it would never be as beautiful and brilliant as as it could be. (laughs) Um, yeah, so thank goodness we don't, but there's usually some kind of underlying narrative there about um, if this is perfect, again, kind of like the same same vein. And this is what I see is if this is perfect, then I'll finally be seen as a legitimate business owner. Mm. Um, you know, if this is perfect, then I will not be uh, in the crosshairs of criticism um, or you know feedback that feels uncomfortable. So I have to make it perfect first to protect myself because I don't know if I can handle that kind of criticism. So it becomes, it goes from perfectionism to actually a way to try and control and manage safety for that Mm. person. Um, And when they don't recognize that, that perfectionist's piece of striving, but never arriving because you're not going to feel safe with a perfect product because first of all, it'll never be perfect. And that's not how we find safety. So you're going to continue to not feel safe until you address you know, what the issue is underneath that perfectionism. Does that make sense? Yes. So talk to me a little bit about this, this need to feel safe, because I think a lot of our kind of 
business issues are actually rooted in that fear and that lack of feeling safe. So how do you work through that with your clients? You know, we call one of the things is, first of all, we call a thing a thing, which is why I use the word trauma and not overwhelm, because I think when we call it what it is, we can use the tools to address it. It normalizes it. It brings stigma down around it. Um, and so a heavy dose of normalizing, a heavy dose of reminding people that we are still uh, human beings with a biology, a brain and a nervous system that is set up to keep us alive and to stay, to keep us in survival. And when you've had experiences in your childhood where you felt less than, or you pick, pick, felt picked on, or um, maybe someone didn't see you, maybe you didn't have a safe place to fall, or, you know, even bigger than that, maybe you were unsafe. Your nervous system is set up to be in response and hypervigilance for that. So it's constantly trying to create systems and solutions for you to be safe, which is one of the reasons why a lot of the founders I work with created their businesses because they wanted to try and feel safe outside of you know, the control of another system. Um, mm. And so we really have to get in there and normalize it, name it honor your nervous system for doing what it's supposed to be doing. So you don't feel like it's personal, like it's some deficiency of your own, right? <laughs> All of us have it, that reptilian brain that's like, mm, not safe, don't do that, or won't be safe until it's completely 100% perfect. Um, then maybe we'll be safe. Uh, so we have to get in there, normalize it and start to identify, you know, maybe what were some of those messages that you got earlier on in your life about what it meant to be safe and what it meant to be perfect, you know, what that outward appearance meant to the people around you. Um, so it's a little bit of digging and it feels very therapeutic in a lot of ways, but what it is, is much more transformational than therapy. Mm. So talk to me a little bit about, are there any, you know, practical tools or particular resources that you use with clients to kind of help them counteract these tendencies or work through this trauma? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we talk about early on is um, identifying the relationship that they have with their business um, to determine, you know, you know, how, what is it? Is it demanding and demeaning or, you know, is it, you know, loving and supportive? Like what have, what dynamic have you set up in your business or your company? Um, and we begin to start there to, to see like, okay, if you're feeling uh, like your business is not supportive of you and you can never do anything right, where have you felt that way before? Who in your life, you know, was a authority figure or someone in your home or your in you know, school who made you feel that way? Um, and so we start to get underneath that a little bit. So it's a very practical tool to say, you know, if your business was a person in your life right now, if you could you know, create an entity of it, who would it be? And is that working for you? <laughs> is that the relationship <laughs> that you want? And if not, who would you like for it to be? You know, how would you like to feel in it? And so we began to look at that, you know, new relationship. So that's one place to look. Another really practical tool I use is I ask people, you know, if you are bumping up against some kind of, you know, skill task solution that, that tends to be something that you struggle with, um, Maybe it's procrastination. Maybe it's, you know, like never allowing yourself any white space in your calendar. You're constantly over your schedule, you're scheduling yourself and you have tried to put business solutions in place for that. 
um, like maybe you got a, another calendar or a planner, if you're starting to see that there's a pattern that those business solutions don't work for you, it could be because there's an emotional issue underneath it that needs to be addressed before those systems will work for you. Um, so we can do kind of like play, play the script backwards to say, okay, these are some of the practical protocol type things that you're struggling with right now. Um, and you keep putting solutions in place and aren't working. So what could be there? Mm, I love that. I, I see that often I with you. the work that I do with clients where we have put a system in place or they are talking about um, how they've tried, you know, this tool and that tool and this tool and that tool, and none of them are working. And it usually ends up at um, oftentimes it's the business owner or the founder that is the they are the ones that refuse to use the system. Mm -hmm. You know, the team all on board with whatever system, like give us a system, give us direction, give us like, they want to be doing good work. They want to be doing the right work, the effective work. Like nobody mm -hmm. wants to show up to their job and feel like they're not making progress or feel useless or, you know, feel like they can't do their job. Everybody wants that um, kind of ability to do good work. But usually when I am coming in and it is, you know, we can't get anybody to use the system. It's usually we can't get the business owner mm -hmm. <laughs> to use the system that everybody else has bought into. And I, I think it's so interesting that you are, um, that's, that's a symptom. Like that's a symptom of the problem is if you've tried all of these different things, yeah. then maybe the issue is not the system. The issue is some underlying cause. Yeah, and I think it's so fascinating to talk to you about the person who's putting in systems in place to manage trauma responses from from the founders yep. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm on the other end of it. So I think the, the most um, you know, the most wonderful thing we can do is to try and, um, you know, provide those resources on both ends for, you know, for folks. And let's be honest, no one's looking for their childhood trauma to come into their business and set up shop and create havoc. We, we aren't taught that that's a thing. We're taught that, you know, you drop your baggage at the door when you start a business. When you go into work, you leave your home, your home life, you leave it at home. And that's not how we are as human beings. That's not how we operate. Um, it's just not so. You know, our experiences that we have create how we see the world and how we move through it. And so that comes with us. And we have to understand that so that we can begin, you know, to have a, a heap of self-compassion and begin to change some of those, you know, things to make it easier for the people around us as well. And, you know, Brene Brown talks about um, in her daring, um, her dare to lead processes that one of the biggest fears that they see when they go into companies um, is that people are fearful of becoming irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And so they resist the system. They resist the new technology. They resist the new policy and in their resistance, which comes from fear and shame and that you know, vulnerability piece, they become irrelevant because they are completely resistant to all the new systems and they, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of irrelevance. Yes, I love that. Yeah. So I see a lot of founders doing that. It's like, this is my business. You know, if, if I, you know, this is not how I saw it going, or maybe, you know, they don't recognize that there's an emotional issue that's playing out, you know, that, so anytime you try and fix the thing, it's like, you're trying to fix me. And so that I feel mm -hmm. irrelevant. And so I'm going to get in the way of it and not consciously know I'm doing this. Yeah, it's interesting, because when I was doing a lot of software implementations, one of the 
biggest kind of indicators of success was actually whether or not the project manager at the company, you know, the person that was kind of the the champion of let's bring in this new system, um, whether or not it became successful had very little to do with the actual tool that we mm -hmm. were implementing and really had to do with how well that person inside the company did with getting buy-in from the users. You know, were they selling it to them as this is actually going to make your job easier? This is not going to make it irrelevant. We're doing this so that you can spend time on more important things or more interesting things, or this is going to make your job better or easier. Mm -hmm. And how well the kind of change champion did with that was actually, yeah, had nothing to do with whatever software we were implementing um, and had mm -hmm. everything to do with how well they managed their team's perception of the change. And I think that really speaks to like your idea of making them feel safe in the change, making them feel comfortable, making them feel like this is not going to make them irrelevant um, and getting their buy-in was such a huge indicator of success. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me, you, you mentioned a little bit about the relationship with your business and what a kind of destructive relationship looks like and what a healthy relationship looks like. And can you talk to me a little bit more about what it kind of looks like when you have um, either a healthy relationship with your business or an unhealthy relationship mm -hmm. with your business? Like what are some of the signs that folks could use to say, oh, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't a good relationship with my business. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I always say, you know, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? If you feel like you're in a place of dread and that you can't do anything right and you created this business, then you created it to be a mean boss. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, tapping into how you feel about it is a, is a really good way to, you know, kind of look at it. Have you created a mean boss for yourself or, you know, is this a, a place for you to express your creativity and do the work that you were hoping to do? And some days it'll be both. Um, but if the majority of the days is that you're waking up with dread and you're feeling like you're out of control and this thing that was supposed to be, um, you know, beautiful, fun, financially, um, you know, freeing is not, then there's probably some dynamic there that needs to be tweaked. But there are some very practical ways to kind of look at this outside of the emotions. I, I was doing a lunch and learn one time for a group of, of people in IT, and it was how to fall in love with your business, lose the abuse, and have a hot and heavy relationship. <laughs> and they were just looking at me because I was asking them to, you know, identify the relationship they had now and, um, you know, to develop, you know, some kind of business entity relationship that they wanted because I was explaining to them that, you know, my business has a personality and it's the ghost of Christmas present from the Muppets movie. <laughs> Because, you know, because we need to be able to relate in order to change the dynamic of the relationship, right? It has to be something we can relate to. And I was asking them to write a love letter to their business and have their business write one back to them. And one, one of them said, he's like, listen, he's like, I really get what you're saying here. And he's like, and I understand. He's like, this is not the relationship I want to have, but I'm really kind of struggling with the love piece of it. Can you come again? And so I explained to him that your business can also be your ride or die buddy, um, you know, someone that you have a commitment to. And so when we can start to define what that commitment is, then we can start to figure out, is this what I really want for myself? And is this the business I've created? And mm. that can look like by identifying what your values are, um, what your mission and vision are for your business, um, how you want to feel 
the work that you are doing in the world and seeing if that is lining up. And it, it amazes me how many people will step into, will found these beautiful businesses and have success in them. And they've never identified what their true values are. And so they're constantly bumping around like a pinball machine. When you know your values, they anchor you. So, you know, a business that is you know demanding and demeaning um, is going to feel like, you know, you're never making enough money. You never have enough time. You never put out a perfect enough product. You're, you don't think your clients like you, um, your employees, you know, you don't feel connected to them. And so you're constantly worried that they don't like you or they're not doing their job. And so you end up micromanaging them. (laughs) Like it, it, it has so many tendrils to it, but what it comes down to is that you are untethered and you don't, you haven't recognized what your values are and you're not living into them through your business and letting your employees and your partners know what that is so that they can support you in that mission. I like that. So is there anything you think we should talk about or touch on here um, that we haven't really talked about yet? Yeah, I, I think what it boils down to is I see people every day who start businesses to fix some kind of childhood wound that they have not identified. Um, and every day I see people create very successful businesses that are, that they are burning out in and that they want to, to, they feel trapped by and they want to burn down. And so they'll come to me and they'll say, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, I just want to stop, you know, burn it down and start over. And what I have to tell them is, listen, you can burn it down and you can start over, but you're still going to bring you to the next venture. So why don't we look at the option of making it do instead of burning it down and building it back up again? Because there is an an ability to really correct and heal a lot of these childhood wounds if you know it's possible to do Mm -hmm. within your business as a founder. Um, and, and so I always like to, you know, kind of remind people that there's that option because it's not what a new business doesn't fix it. A new model doesn't fix it. Um, we have to change how we see ourselves within our business and honor the fact that a lot of the skill sets that we have, we did kind of earn through some really hard times, but they've set us up to be highly entrepreneurial and it's a skill set and a gift, but we can only embrace that fully when we know that it comes with kind of like, you know, that shadow side to it that we have to pay attention to. And the businesses that I see that are running well, um, that have high morale with their employees, where they're nimble and can pivot and have a lot of flexibility are the ones that have done this work because the bottom line does not reflect their worth. You know, their personal worth is not being played out in how the business is successful or what the numbers are, or if the product is perfect. They know that there's a separation between them and the business and that they are doing what they can and acting in integrity. But whether they make that million or make that perfect product or not, that their value as a human being is not wrapped up in that. Mm. And they've done that work somewhere. Either they've done it with a therapist, a coach, or maybe, you know, they had a really supportive environment or some mentor who helped them see that, but they are not working out their worth in their business. Mm, I think that's a perfect place to end on. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you or learn more about what you do? So they can, um, there's two places I hang out a lot. That is on Facebook, Nicole Lewis Keeper Coaching. Um, You can go to my website, nicole.lewis-keeper.com. 
I would say that's probably the the least place, the place I'm least active <laughs> um, because it requires, you know, all the updates. Um, so if you really want to know what's going on with me in the world and what, you know, what's going on and what I'm offering and all those things right now, I think Facebook is probably the best place to find me because I update there every day. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I think this was, this was really valuable, good information. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the work that you're doing on the other side. In the last episode, I talked to Agnes Kowalski about money mindset and how money issues and beliefs can really color our relationship with the money in our business. But that relationship with our past isn't limited to money. As Nicole pointed out, even something as seemingly simple as being bullied as a child can have powerful impacts in your business and on your ability to lead and trust your team or even just having a team at all. But it's not always easy to tell that that's what's happening, especially while you're in the thick of it. It's striking that the question Nicole uses is the same one I do. Why? Why are you doing that? What's the reason behind it? And while the answers might be different, whether you're talking about a mindset issue or an operational one, the question is just as powerful. Understanding why you're taking the actions you are is the key to fixing them. It is the universal tool of business coaches everywhere and the best practical tool I can give you. For every decision or action you take in your business, make sure you understand why you're doing it. And if you can't answer it first, keep digging. Money. You earn it. You spend it. Maybe you even save or invest it. But how do you feel about the decisions you make with your money? Plenty of business owners, even the successful ones, feel like they're shooting in the dark when it comes to how they spend, save, and invest their money. Like you, they wonder if the ads they're buying, the software they're investing in, or the people they're paying are really paying off. And that's stressful. Feeling uneasy about how you're spending or investing your money isn't fun. And I want something different for you. I want you to feel wildly capable with your money. I want you to feel confident that every decision you make is guided by your financial intel. I want you to feel the peace of knowing that every dollar you spend for your business is going towards building a business that runs better and makes more money. This is what I do for business owners when I step in as their chief financial officer on demand. I help them parse the numbers, look for opportunities, and trim the fat. We get clear on where they're getting in their own way and where the math just doesn't add up. But I firmly believe that playing the role of CFO is something that every small business owner can do for themselves. And I'd love to help you become your own CFO. I'd love to work with you along with a small group of business owners over the next five months to help you make better decisions about the way your business earns, spends, and invests money. Together, we'll dig into the data, examine the reports, rethink your money stories, build a budget, and create an action plan. By the end of the program, you'll have a new relationship with the money that flows through your business, and you'll feel wildly capable when it comes to making decisions about it. This is the last week to apply, so if you're interested in working with me in the Be Your Own CFO program, go to scalespark.co slash CFO. That's scalespark.co slash CFO. 
Now, next week, I'm talking to Jason Van Orden about experimenting and implementing new ideas and how to make sure that you're giving your new ideas every chance to succeed and the patience to see that process through. But also how to know when your new thing isn't working and when to let it go. So hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss that. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Rundbeck. <laughs>